if she can do it, I can do it. And I've done that in my own life. I have found my influencers that I can look at and think, okay, if they're there, they got through it, I can do it. And if that's what I can do for somebody else, then of course I wanna help somebody. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. Inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome listeners to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs. If you're new to the show, I interview local business owners and influencers and learn their stories of how they have overcome obstacles and persevered to achieve their goals. Today, I don't have a business owner here. I have an influencer who's been touching the lives of others through her journey of trial and perseverance, all while having an amazing positive attitude and being an inspiration to everyone who's been following her. So welcome Mindy Reese, creator of Hope on the Horizon. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so grateful you invited me here to your home so that we could talk. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming here. (laughs) Mindy, there are many people who know your story. Um, You have been featured on, your family has been featured on East Idaho News on several occasions. Uh, You have uh, your blog and many of us feel like we've also been a part of this journey that you've been on. But for those who don't know, could you please explain what Hope on the Horizon is and how it came to be? Yes. So I never intended on sharing anything. Um, We went, when we, when Wyatt started getting sick, we went three years with the wrong diagnosis. Those whole three years, I never posted on my social media. I never told anybody. Um, Even close friends didn't really have any idea. The only people that knew he was sick were family and then maybe the super close neighbors. Um, I would go to town by myself and I could tell as soon as I was like running into the same people over and over and they would notice that why it was never with me. I, I could sense that they were kind of like, what's, what's going, going on? on in your marriage? girl? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was so hard because why didn't want to come out. He couldn't talk and he just was embarrassed. And then it's hard when you would run into somebody and they go to talk to him and he couldn't talk. Mm, so and so, and then it was like, what's going on? And we we're like, we don't know. And just, just to get everybody up to speed, Wyatt had ALS and I know you'll get to all of yeah, this, but yeah. that's disease. really the story of yes. um, your journey with him and his yes. disease progression. And yeah. you lost Wyatt December 30th. Yes. Uh, so it's not been that long ago. Nope. Nine weeks. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. Okay. So, um, finally, um, we decided we were going to take him to the Mayo Clinic after all these years. And it was then that I decided I was going to finally post on my personal Facebook page. I was like, you know what? I think this is a justifiable reason to ask people to pray because we had just been back and forth, had no idea what was going on. And you had two little kids. Like you were managing a house. (laughs) Yeah. And your, your, your husband who was ill with, you guys don't know what. Yeah. Well, and at, yeah. So at that time I actually had three. (laughs) So yeah. So I posted on Facebook and on my personal page and I was like, look, here's kind of the rundown of what's going on. I'm taking my husband to the Mayo Clinic. If you don't mind keeping us in your purse, that would be great. And everybody was just like, what is going on? We had no idea. And I'm like, well, of course you didn't. I, I kept it to myself. I just, you know, I figured things out. So Soon after his diagnosis, um, the things that I started sharing on social media, on my own Facebook page, I would keep them kind of brief, 
but powerful. And so I had a, a lady that I used to work with and she sent me a message and she said, Mindy, you really need to start a blog. And I'm like, why? And she's like, every time you just post these little things on your, on your page, like they just, they mean so much. And I know that there's a lot that people would like to know. And, and so I didn't think anything of it. And I was just like, okay, whatever. But I realized that I liked being able to write and it was really helping me get all these feelings out. So it was literally in November of 2017 that I started. I thought, okay, what the heck? Blogging was like really popular back in the day. Everybody had a blog and you had a link to everybody else's blogs. And I thought, I don't think this is popular, but whatever, I can just kind of journal all my own thoughts. So I started that in November and it was, it was soon after, so just that next December when East Idaho News came and gave us that secret Santa gift. And I had already built my um, blog, but then I realized I was getting all these friend requests and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to make a separate Facebook page because I still wanted to be able to separate yeah. ALS and me in my life. And so I didn't want to put all of the ALS stuff on my personal Facebook page. I still wanted to be able to separate the two. So I created that and I just realized like I had already had the blog and it just, it, and then East Idaho News came and it directed people where to go and it just, it just fit. Like it was already set up, it was already prepared, it was already there ready for people to go on and read. And I just, I never realized what people thought about what I wrote. Like to me, it was just getting it out of my head, like so much thoughts and feelings that were going on and to be able to like release it and for it. And then I started slowly realizing that other people, it was helping other people. And I thought, okay, well I can do this. Like, it's just what you thought was, you're just telling your story. This yeah. is just your reality. Yeah. And <laughs> well, why, um, when you think about that, why do you think people were drawn or are drawn to your story? What is it? Um, you know, I asked myself that for a really long time and I would even ask other people that because Wyatt and I would just think this is just who we are. Like there's nothing special about us. And I love that every time the news would come out to Wyatt and they would keep telling him like, you're such an inspiration and they would leave and we're like, we're not that inspirational. This is just who we are. And so in talking with other people and getting other people's opinions from the outside looking in, you just, you don't realize how many other people are going through something not even similar to something really hard or something that feels like is never ending or something that just feels impossible. And to be able to have somebody that can say, if she can do it, I can do it. And I've done that in my own life. I have found my influencers that I can look at and think, okay, if they're there, they're a little bit ahead of me. They got through it. I can do it. And if that's what I can do for somebody else, then of course I want to help somebody, you know? Yeah. So it just kept going. It just was, we were all drawing from each other. Like I was appreciating the positive feedback that I was getting, knowing that I was in this hard situation, but it was kind of like, yeah, they're pushing me. Like I can do this. This is hard, but this is okay. We're going to get through it. Like we can do this. It was just, (laughs) so So. it actually was a little bit therapeutic for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I loved being able to, um, it, like, it really helped me visualize my blessings. Like, if I knew 
I mean, sometimes you go through about your whole day and it's like, oh my gosh, it was the worst day ever. But then when you really stop and think about all the good that happened and you write it down and you can see it, it's like, wait a second. Like I had bad moments. It wasn't a bad day, but it's so crazy how your mind is so powerful. And if you let yourself believe that it's a bad day, then all you're going to think about is the negative. And so it just, it was just, I mean... I don't even know how to explain it. It's just every day you just find the positive. I can do this. You know, every time I posted something, somebody would say something super inspirational to me. Thank you. Like, I really appreciate your perspective. This really helped me. And it was like, okay, boost you back up. You can do this and you can get through your next day. So, I, you know, just listening to you, having read your blog too, I do think though that you possess some of that glass half full kind of <laughs> attitude, right? Because this doesn't, yeah. not everybody could face this type of a challenge. For those of you who don't know, I mean, ALS, explain a little bit the disease progression and, and um, what it did to Wyatt's body. Yeah. So you, it's horrible. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing. Um, it's the hard part that I learned is that it manifests in so many different ways in so many different people. So there's, um, a bulbar onset or there's limb onset. So some people it affects their hands first or their limbs, their legs. Other people it affects in their speaking and swallowing first. So depending on which one presents itself is obviously just gonna make your journey a whole different journey than somebody else's. And his, I felt like his was all at once because his tongue started twitching and he would tell me that it just felt like it was throbbing and it was twitching and he couldn't get it to quit. But at the same time, his fingers were curling in. And so um, I think he officially was diagnosed with the bulbar onset. Um, but I really feel like it, it did all hit. So it just starts deteriorating your nerves. And so your brain is perfectly fine. It's, it's sending the signals to your body to move but the connections are broken and so your body can't move. And so he would just try so hard. I mean, just looking at your hands and it's like, I'm telling it to move. Like, why is this not working? So he just, his fingers were the first, what I felt like were the first along with his tongue twitching and his speech was kind of in and out here and there. Sometimes he could talk really good. Sometimes he'd be in a sentence and then one word he couldn't get out. It was just so up and down, back and forth. And in his head, he knew the word, but yes. it, his mouth was yes. not working. And that's yeah. what, when you go to the doctors, they were like, well, do you, like, are you having a hard time thinking of it? And it's like, no, no like, I know exactly. It, yes, <laughs> I just want to talk. And so, yeah, it, I felt like it all just kind of came together at once because then he also wasn't able to shake the student's hands because he couldn't get his fingers to open. And he was a teacher at the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, he had to wear shirts and ties and suits and he started getting to the point where he couldn't um, button up his cuffs. Yeah. And so I would start doing that and then he couldn't get the top button where his tie and then I had to start tucking in a shirt into the pants. And then eventually like he couldn't get his belt through the belt loops and he couldn't do the belt. Like just slowly over this time, I was like dressing him every morning, but it was so small and so little. It was like, you couldn't think 
oh, well, now you can't do this. I yeah, mean, it yeah. was just Not so... like when you have a stroke and your whole right yeah. side is wiped out. This yeah. is just these little subtle yep. things. And, and I remember one time we went into the bathroom. He was like trying to show me in the mirror how to tie his tie. Because he's like, my, I can't, you know, flip it around this way and pull it through. And I'm like, we're going to get you a zipper tie. <laughs> and he was like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, that yes, is we are. not cool. We don't wear zipper ties after <laughs> like, 10 I, years old. I can't do this. <laughs> so, yeah, just slowly. And then after his fingers and stuff weren't working, then it was like onto his arms. He couldn't, he would text me, you know, as well as he could in the class, like on his prep hour and stuff. And he was like, I can't reach. I can't grab a marker to write on the board. And I mean, it just, just that. And that just kind of ate away at his body. Yeah. Until he was completely dependent. Yeah. And so by, um, by May of 2015, he was done walking. I mean, he just was no more. And he, he was so upset. He knew, like, we, he was falling using a walker. He would use a walker through the house. And I remember I was sitting in the kitchen, and he started walking down the hall, and I, he just falls. Crash. And I turn around, yeah. and he was, like, flat on his back. I'm like, what the heck happened? You had a walker. He's like, I, I don't know. Like, I just I have no fell. control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he started falling all the time. So then I kind of got to the point where I'm like, you got to quit hitting your head. Like, this is not okay. But it's like he knew once he got in that wheelchair, he was not getting out and he fought it. He didn't want to. I would walk with him with the walker standing by him, like behind him. And I finally just got to the point where I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, you have to go to this wheelchair. And then once, obviously, once we got him in the wheelchair, then we had to make adjustments to our house, like with ramps and stuff. And it was just really hard for him because, number one, we're seeing doctors that are telling us he's going to get better if you do all this stuff but yet we're seeing like physical digression that's yeah. not giving us that but and you still young. have this hope like, how old when you guys when this onset happened he yeah was like 29 yeah yeah third right close to 30 yeah so yeah yeah and at that time it's like and he had been an active young I mean yeah. sporting kind of guy yes. like how can you Football, even wrap your head around this wrestling yeah. dirt bikes yeah. hiking everything I'm sure I, I mean my own pride would be really like yes. this is not going to happen to me yeah um but you can your brain can only fight that so long yeah. when your body's not cooperating yes yeah. and that is the hard part is like you know what you can do yeah but then when you physically can't do it it's like so when you talk about this attitude and, and posting on your blog and and that you got this um, support system, I mean, Mindy, what do you think it was about you that this attitude that you have? Because it just permeates through everything that your attitude has been really positive yeah. through this entire journey. Um, honestly, I think it's just, it, had, <laughs> it started with just who I am. Yeah. I mean, I think just naturally I'm a happy person, naturally positive. I don't like confrontation, try to stay away from it. Um, but I think there's, I've seen so many other people go through so many other things. And so I never, I never sat there and thought, why me? Because I realized everybody has something. And if it wasn't going to be this, it might've just been something else. And so I could either I didn't know what, how long of a road this was going to take. I didn't know what it was going to entail, but I knew my own capabilities and I knew I could do it. 
you know, and it, it was it's amazing. It was just like I'm not gonna let. So he's in a wheelchair. So what? Like that's not gonna ruin my family life. That's not gonna. That that doesn't make him any less of a dad. That doesn't make him any less of a husband. I yeah. mean, and I remember there was one time I was at the grocery store, and I saw this this gentleman in a wheelchair. And he was shopping with his family and he had kids on his lap and his wife was pushing the grocery cart. And I looked at him and he was, you know, he was still able to push the wheelchair himself and he was talking with his kids. And I looked at him and I was just like, if Wyatt could do that, that would be so awesome. Like Wyatt couldn't put his kids on his lap and he couldn't talk and he couldn't help me. But I was just like, but look at him, he's in a wheelchair and it's okay. Like, so just because my situation wasn't the same, it was like, it's okay. There's other people. It made me more aware of my surroundings and what people's situations were. And just because you're in a wheelchair or having this, we didn't know the disease at the time, but like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You can still- People do this. Yeah, and be they productive and be happy. And you know, yeah. so I was determined that I would still try to make things as normal as they could. They were gonna be our normal, even though it wasn't normal on the outside. <laughs> well, you say on your blog, happiness is a choice. Yeah. Hope is never lost. Yes. So I, I would think over the years that you have dealt with this, that you've had many opportunities to kind of lose hope. Yeah. So was, you know, what was it that helped you believe that, I mean, once you got the diagnosis, you knew what the outcome would be. Yes. How do you have hope when you know that like you're, the outcome is that he's going to die? Um, well, I think it was really by the time for our situation and i know some people go through this with als some people do go years with the wrong diagnosis some people get their right diagnosed right at the beginning and i don't know what it would have been like had we gone to that first doctor and they say this is going to be als and i would have that drag of a future to look forward to <laughs> like how am I going to do this? What's the average of people's lifespan when they're diagnosed? It's two to five years. Okay. Um, so had he got that first diagnosis right at the very beginning and I thought, wow, I have five years to figure this out. That, that probably would have been really hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the situations obviously were probably going to be different. For me, when I, when we went three years with the wrong diagnosis, Having to make, I mean, there was no doctors, there was no computers to help him talk, there was no feeding tube to help him eat, and we figured it out. Like, I, I had to figure it out. There was nobody else that knew how to do it, and to me, it was like, if Wyatt's going to eat, I have to figure out how to do this for him. If my kids are going to get to school, I have to figure out how to get Wyatt this situated. I mean, I had to figure it out every single day. So, had you always been like that? Had you been this scrappy little soul that has just figured stuff out? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think we know what we can do until we're right in the yes. middle of it. Yeah. But had you shown that kind of tenacity? Well, okay, this might sound a little ridiculous, but I did gymnastics yeah. growing up. Okay, so I was raised on a dairy farm. I had five older brothers. And there was plenty of times where my dad's like, you're going to go feed the calves. And I'm like, I don't want to go feed the cows. It's winter time. It's and cold. And I'm the girl. And I'm the baby. <laughs> Come on. And he's like, I don't care. Get your boots on. You're going to feed the calves. And it's like, you had to do it. So then you get to gymnastics and, I, and I'm kind of like, hey, I'm out of the farming. <laughs> like, I have this gymnastics. But then you get to these skill levels where it's like, if I want to do this skill, 
I have to push myself. Like, mm-hmm. I have to figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to go do this tumbling for me. I have to do it. So then you get to cheerleading and, you know, I get to high school and it's happy and it's fun. And you're with all your friends and your, your friends are playing the football and basketball and volleyball games. And you're want, you know, you're just excited for them. And that's like, let's help them out. So I think I've always just had this, if I want to do this, I have to figure it out. So by the time it came to him getting sick, it wasn't like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. So let's go find somebody. It was like, let's figure it out. You know, if you, I remember the first time trying to get him in a vehicle and it was like, okay, I'm just going to move your legs here and then I'm going to twist you here. And this makes sense when I pick you up and move you like I just figured it out. Uh-huh. I mean, there were times Common where, sense kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And there were times where I physically got to the point where he couldn't move anymore and I couldn't be in two different places at the Physics same time. Physics just didn't work out. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I would have to get help. But until I had to do it, I mean, I still remember the time that his body was so not working. He got stuck in the shower. And I got him in... I got him spun a 180 into the wheelchair and the wheelchair wasn't like locked all the way and it was like scooting out from him and I'm like if I let go of him he's gonna fall and then how am I gonna get him off the floor yeah and like I seriously just held him and I was like thinking what what am I gonna do and I mean I think there are in those moments where it's like you just get these thoughts and it's like, okay, I'm going to use my one foot and I'm going to grab the wheelchair by the front wheel and I'm going to hold it and I'm going to push him in here. And it's like, I just realized what I was capable of doing. Like I can do this. I can take care of him. I can figure it out. And a lot of it too was, well, what if the situation was reversed? You know, you would want somebody to help you and figure it out and not give up on you. And so when you have three years of that, you have your system, you have things figured out. By the time three years rolls around and then we get his official diagnosis and you do learn that he's going to die, it's like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we by can, then you were like, by okay, then we've done are, all of this. Yeah, you've had your strength. And honestly, after getting his diagnosis, things only got easier because he did get his feeding tube and so he wasn't starving. And I could hook a tube into his stomach and hang it on a gravity-fed bag and he's eating while I'm taking care of my other kids instead of me trying to, okay, Wyatt, take a bite and then I'll be right back and then I'll come back and give you another bite and I hope you don't choke because I gotta go get the baby, you know what I mean? And so... It actually alleviated some of that. Yes. You're like, oh, okay. This makes it even like I actually can do this. Yes. Yeah. And it gave him freedom with the eye gaze being able to communicate, you know, he's not uh, talk about that. Stuck. What was the eye gaze? Um, so I mean, it's just, it, they're called Toby. Well, the one we had was a Toby Dynavox. It's like a big iPad computer glorified. It follows your eye movements. He would type things out. We had folders so we could go put a whole bunch of preset things. So you're not having to type every single thing in every single time. But when he when he did and he'd that, all had, he just have to look at it and it yeah. would know. Yep. He'd be able to, so he could communicate through this device. Yes. But how'd you communicate before that? You I just had, figured out a system. I had to figure Again. it out. <laughs> it, it reminded me of like when you have a baby and your two-year-old makes absolutely no sense, but you know you what know. they're saying. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. Like yeah. people could come over here and have absolutely no idea what he's saying. And I'm like, oh, he wants to know how you're doing. <laughs> like you just... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that's just how it is. Um, 
but once he got that computer, when we tested it out at the Mayo Clinic, he, um, he said three things, which I've never told anybody, but when he did that, it, I mean, it broke my heart because at that moment it was, it just, it was a slap in the face at how stuck he really was. Like that Wyatt that I married is in there but I hadn't been able to hear him. And it was- And you'd adjusted to this body yeah. that had, to, yeah. Yeah, right, and conversations right. were non-existent. It was, it was just down to the, what do you need? What can I get you? You yeah, know, right. you didn't have these Caregiving. conversations anymore. And so, I mean, and one of the things that he was just like, I'm starving, I'm so hungry. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, okay, let's, let's hurry and get home. Let's get this surgery done. So, I mean, it was like, I mean, and then the other great thing, when he had his feeding tube put in, he was just like, I'm full. I'm not starving anymore. And it was just like the littlest things Phew. that yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, like three years and you're not starving anymore. I mean, he had dropped like a hundred pounds. He was, oh my goodness. he would have just died from starvation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one night he was getting bed sores after he had his feeding tube procedure we didn't have his bed yet. His parents bought him a sleep number bed because you can't lay flat, especially with ALS. And so he was sleeping in this recliner chair and because he was in that position and your body's not working and you have to like fight off bed sores, yeah. his shoulder blades were poking out so bad. We were putting like cushions in between the cushions. Because he lost so much weight. Yeah, and, and I just remember one time picking him up out and like transferring him to the wheelchair. And it was, I mean, I just, I almost wish I could have took a picture. I just to remember, you could see every single bone in his back. I mean, I just, I couldn't even, I mean, I was picking him up like it was nothing. And so it was actually really relieving to get the right diagnosis, even though it was horrible and something that you don't want because it gave him more time, you know, he could eat and he could kind of gain some of that weight back and come back and be healthy he could communicate you know he could start talking with the kids and stuff like that and so yeah it seems like for a little bit you had him back yeah mm -hmm. yes yeah no kidding you um posted the other day it was national caregivers day yeah. and you posted you give up your freedom and your life to care for those you love yes when you think back about this so I look at this a little bit differently as a nurse and the listeners know that I'm a nurse, but I look at this and I think, Mindy, why did you choose and not in a judgment way at all, but there are nursing homes, there's places that could have accommodated Wyatt and you, you decided to take this on while you're raising four kids and you didn't place him in a nursing home. Again, no judgment around that, but I think with my training and everything, I, I'm not sure I could have done it. Yeah. Like, what was it that helped you decide that this is the place that he needed to be? Um, well, number one, I think it's just your commitment in marriage. It's like, you know, I, I love him for better, for worse, <laughs> in sickness and in health. And to me, I didn't, I didn't look at him as a chore. It was, he's my spouse. Like, we're just gonna make this work. And I think it always just came back to, how would I want things? If I was in his situation, I mean, I could totally see how throwing you in a nursing home would just make you feel like, oh, they just don't wanna take care of me. I think we all have 
our own threshold of physical, emotional capabilities of caring for somebody. And I just know, I mean, my kids were little. They, I mean, even though they didn't have their dad in a normal, like coming home from work kind of way or going out and doing things, it was like, this is still their they dad. They needed their dad. They could, mm -hmm. they could run in every day after school if they wanted to. They, you know, we could still go in. And I mean, everything we did was, once he had his diagnosis and he was like in that bed all the time, everything was in my bedroom birthday parties, Christmas, Easter, we all went in there and gathered at. And I think that, you know, I hope my kids will still remember that. And I hope for my kids too, that they saw, even though it was a short time for them to see it, but it was just like, that's how they loved each other. Taking care of each other, was it easy? No. Was it always pretty? <laughs> Absolutely not. But it's possible, it, you know? And I just, I know with my determination and with me saying, what would I want? Would I want to be around my kids? Would I want to be around my spouse? But no, you don't want to be a burden in making their life harder. So it's just kind of like finding that right combination and making it work. I think of this and I, um, maybe you probably wonder too, like what, what a great lesson your children have been. I mean, it's really a gift your yeah. children were given to be able to experience this uh, oftentimes people with ailments older individuals it's scary for kids mm -hmm. I, I imagine that's not too scary for your kids no in fact I remember one time we went to a, we were sitting in a doctor's office and there was a little kid that came in in a wheelchair I mean it's like they didn't even look twice yeah. you know they're not like why is that person I mean if anything it was kind of like hey, hey that's kind of like dad yeah uh -huh. and I remember one time it was around Christmas time and I had, we were at a toy store and there was like this baby section and there was like a wheelchair that you could get for your baby doll. And it was just like, hey, that's like dad's. I mean, they saw yeah, just how natural. similar mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shapes their lives as yes. they go forward. Yeah. Did they take care of their dad? Did they help with caregiving activities oh, yeah. and stuff? Yes, they all, they all knew how to suck out his mouth. That was the easy one. Um, Definitely towards the end, Paige, my oldest, and even Kaylee, she's my second oldest. She has allergies. She's really allergic to dairy, so she couldn't help with his feedings because his, his formula, formula had mm -hmm. milk in it, so uh -huh. she couldn't help him with that. But Paige got really good that when Wyatt was hungry, if I was in the middle of making dinner, I could say, hey, Paige, can you go feed dad? And she knew how to get his bag and get the food and shake it up and pour it in the gravity bag and oh, feed it down the feeding yeah. tube, get all the air out, you know, open up his tubes, unclamp it, start it going, get wow. the drip. Like she was really good. She knew how to do that. Yeah. There was also like little things, just his, he had a hard time like regulating his body temperature um, just cause you're not moving and, and room temperatures and stuff. And so he would often need blankets yeah. or switch blankets. Um, so the littler ones could do that and then he would get drop feet. And so he wore shoes to try to keep them up, but then sometimes they would get tired and stretched out. So he'd need his shoes off. And so even, yeah, so they could just do like those little things, moving the blankets and taking his shoes on and off or just like wiping, even just like if, even though we would suction out his mouth, he would still drool and yeah. stuff. And so if they, they even saw help. it, they would just wipe it for him. And, and it was stuff. no big deal. Just yeah. take care of this. Yeah. And yeah. they'd just climb up on his bed and sit by him and watch TV. And I think I heard, um, 
at, I mean, your youngest was an infant when Wyatt was really unable to do much with his body, like he was bedridden. Yes. But you, he held, he held yeah. your infant. Yes. You know, it was, it was crazy because he has been my only one that wouldn't take a binky. <laughs> and he instantly became a thumb sucker. And that was huge. That was the biggest lifesaver. Right. I couldn't Who even would it. even think that that so, little thing I know, would I be? I know. Yeah. And so there was times at night where I would still have my two-year-old and she would need help going to sleep at night. And so I would just like swaddle up my baby boy, Weston, and he could stick his thumb in his mouth. And, and I, would lay, I would just lay him in his arms and then I would go help my other kids get to bed. And Wyatt had a music thing on there. And so he would play this music and he would just drift off to sleep. And oh, that was really, a, like, that thing. was like really great for Wyatt too, to be able to just, yeah, he helped. Yeah. Like it was like, okay, I'm doing something, yeah. you know, even though you're not like cradling him and rocking him and stuff, but just to be able to sit there and hold him and he could at least pick some music on, get him to go to sleep while I'm getting the other ones into bed. Like, yeah, that was it a was blessing. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. It's like, it's just a cool story. Yeah. Um, Mindy, when you think about other people who are facing trials, what do you say to them when, you know, they're looking at their things and it seems like things are insurmountable? What would you say to them or what do you say to them to people who feel like their only future is sorrow? Um, what message do you have for individuals who are going through their own stuff? So I think the thing that gets you down the most when you're going through something hard is when you start feeling like you're you're the only one that knows what this is like. But you I think you have to even in that even when you're at your lowest point or when you're going through something hard, you have to be strong enough to still reach out and find somebody. Like I don't I couldn't just depend on other people to fix this for me. Like I still had to reach out and find, I like to just call them my tribe. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of people around here that knew a lot about ALS. In a situation like mine, being young, having four kids, nobody around here. <laughs> and so um, there was, it was really hard because I would go onto these ALS support groups on Facebook and there are so many negative people because this disease is disgusting and it's, people get so mad and so angry and they don't want their loved ones to be gone. And it's just not fair. And you have to be careful because you can find people with the wrong kind of attitude. And I had to dig, I had, yeah, I had to dig through those groups. I mean, I had to find the people that I could relate to. So I have friends all over the United States who are just like me that are young, taking care of their husbands with ALS that have little kids that are like, it's okay. We can do this. And it's like, okay, those are my people. Yeah. And then you form this relationship with them and you talk to them and you get the support. So I, I think whatever illness or whatever situation you're in, it's possible to reach out and find other people who are going through it because then it's, if they can do this, I can do it. And even as the situations change, that's what I'm having to do. Like yeah, now, now I find the people who have lost their spouses to ALS and how it's like, look at all these things I'm going through and this is what I'm feeling and why am I feeling this way? Like, and just to have somebody be like, yeah, I know what that's like. And obviously 
everybody you hear from the same thing from everybody grieving is different from everybody and i think especially with als because i i say it all the time when i write on my blog i've told everybody this all the time i haven't heard his voice in four years i don't go to bed at night just wishing to hear him because i'm already used to that i mean it's not and i'm not gonna like bring it up and make myself more depressed about it i mean right. that's just something right. i'm not i'm not used to I'm used to not hearing his voice. I'm used to him not going to the grocery store with me. I'm used to him not taking care of the kids. I'm used to him not going to parent-teacher conference, like all those things. Um, and so... For a, for a long time, you've been a single parent. Yeah, I, I've done that while taking care of him. Mm -hmm. And so now, I mean, I still... And like when you go back to saying, how can you have a happy, a positive attitude when you know what the outcome is? When you watch somebody suffer that long when you get to that point it's like you you love that person enough to let them go I mean you are genuinely like you don't deserve this anymore like you need to be at Free peace from this, yeah. you need to like this needs to be over this doesn't this isn't fair and so by that time like when he passed away it was almost like a sigh of relief it was like, finally, you don't have to endure this anymore. And everything worked out how it needed to. Yes, I'm here with four kids. And yes, I've been like, okay, now what? And it's like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> like, I'm yes, not. Yes, I think that's your motto. <laughs> I, you know, I got school lined up. I got life lined up. It's just kind of like, I'm not going to let this keep dragging me down. I mean, yes, he's gone. And yes, it's hard. Yes, I don't have to take care of him anymore. And it's really cute because we used to always talk about with my little kids, we would always say, when dad got better, let's go do this. I never wanted to take away that hope for my kids. I was never just going to be like, you guys, guess what? He's not it's going not to. Gonna happen. Like, you know, I never, I always wanted them. So once he passed away, it was like, he's better. He's, he's not, and they recognize he's not in bed anymore. We're not leaving him in bed anymore. And so they recognized, you know, he's better. He's, and, and so it, but it's still so cute because I still have my three-year-old that will just be like, when dad gets better, can we go do this? And I'm like, <laughs> we can, he's okay. And he's better. And they, you know, they're like, yeah, he can come with us. You know, we still, we don't like, it's not like we've written him off. I no, mean, I get it. You know, yeah. he's still here and yeah. we talk about him and he's yeah, even a, more with you than yeah, he was and, able to and be And for them, it's like, oh, he can come with us now. His spirit's with us now. And it's not just stuck in bed. So one of the things that I've been thinking as you've been talking, um, I have seen caregivers struggle with some guilt when they're enjoying life and their loved one isn't able to. Yes. Did you, like, were you able to have fun? <laughs> Do you have want my things? honest answer? <laughs> well, I mean, yes. Like, I think I, it's, it's hard. Yes. That was my biggest struggle. Sure. Because like, you can do stuff and he can't. Yes. That was the hardest thing. And I made plenty of mistakes being a caregiver. And I had a lot of friends that were saying, you need to take care of yourself. You can't take care of everybody else if you don't take care of yourself. But for me, it was so hard because I knew his ending. I knew it was going to end. And for me, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know for sure how much time I have, but I knew it was going to be longer than his. And it just was like, I'm just, I, I didn't, I didn't go out. 
I didn't go do anything. So you I felt said, self-sacrificing. Like I can sacrifice yes. this because yeah. this is going to end and yeah. then I can have my life. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been nice and I'm sure it would have saved a lot of kind of <laughs> meltdowns I had in the middle of the night, you know, after everyone would go to bed and you're so stressed out and it's like, you just have to let it load, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure it probably would have maybe helped in those circumstances but it was hard it, and it was hard to would leave you do him. it different i don't know uh-huh i don't know toward um come like november i did finally say why well, i want to go out to lunch with my friends and it was hard it was hard to tell him that and and it, because i think it all is in your perspective too like am i going to go out and go have fun but then you can look at it as like I'm recharging, so yeah, I can come yeah. back, and I'm not as stressed, and, and I'm more relieved, and I can help take care of you. And it it did, like it really did help. Um, but like I said, that was like November, and he passed away in December. I'm not. There's no way I would look back and regret the things that I did. There's, I mean, I love that I feel okay about my care for him. I have no regrets in my care for him. I did everything I could for him. I sacrificed for him. And I think <laughs> I would rather feel that than going, oh, maybe I shouldn't have left him so many times to go to lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah, now right. I can go to lunch whenever I want yeah. to. So I'm okay with that. Do you, do you struggle with any of those guilt feelings now? No, of like it, I have a life that he didn't get to have. Um, no, I th and I think it all what it comes down to is just I know the level of care that I provided for him. I know that I did my very best, and so it's kind of like I did all that I could do. Mm -hmm. I I don't wish that I. I mean, I I don't think there was any more hours in the day that I could have given for him. And it's kind of like, I'm not going to stop living because he did either. I've got these four kids. We got to keep going. And so I well, have to too. And one of the things you said there that is so striking to me is that you recognize that you did your best. You know, your best might be something very different than my best. Yes. And I think what we can't do is get caught up in this comparison yes. of, well, I got to do it like Mindy did because yes. she's the superstar woman, you know, like... Like my best is the best I can do. And it yes. might not be what everybody else can do. Well, yeah. And that's like what I said, you have your own threshold of endurance and what you can put up with. And that's not going to be the same as everybody else's. Yeah. There was plenty of people, um, in my caregiver spouse group that some people did have caregivers that came in. They were in situations where they could come in and people were doing their chores for them, or they would have caregivers that would come in and take care of their spouses. Like every situation was different. And I had help all along the way too. You know, people, friends, family, ward members would come bring dinner and help clean the house. Like everybody was pitching in and it just made it work. So I felt like I could still take care of him. Being able to take care of him, I was the only one that could do like the extensive stuff. His parents were awesome and would come sit with him if I wanted to run for like an hour or two. Um, but they weren't transferring him and yeah, doing other yeah, stuff. Yeah, nobody was like helping him go to the bathroom, helping him get out of bed, helping him clear out his throat, putting, you know what I mean? It was like any, just coming to sit and make sure he was okay. But yes, as far as physically taking care of him, showering him, getting him dressed, like all that was me all the time. 
And had I not wanted to, maybe we could have found a different route to do it, but you were okay. I was okay doing it. So, so, um, what's the future for you now, Mindy? Like this has really kind of defined your life for the last few years. Yeah. Um, before I got sick, we always had a plan that once he graduated college and, um, got hired, then I was going to go back to school. And that transition was so fast with him getting sick. I never got to. So I'm going to start school in the fall. And I really, I started on a book. I really think even for my own healing from a story start to finish, there's a lot, believe it or not, even on all my blogs and all these things I've posted, I've left out so many, so many integral parts that add to this whole story that I think if I could just get it out, it's like, here is the one big story of start to finish in a book. I think that would just even help me in my healing. Just yeah, have it out there. Do it. Mm-hmm. So I really do want to write a book. I really want to go to school and be a nurse and just, I appreciate the nurses that helped me just having, you know, compassion. I love, love, love our home health and hospice nurse and appreciate her so much and just, you know, and I wanted to do that before he got sick. That was my, yeah, that was my plan Mm -hmm. all along. Mm -hmm. And so then for him to get sick, it just was like, okay, now I got like five and a half years. I guess I just skipped the school part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can promise you as a nurse, and I mean this with respect to all of my colleagues, you'll, you'll be very, very, very well prepared, much better than many of the graduates. So, um, yeah, I've had a lot of hands-on experience. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. So, and it, I mean, and it was interesting to learn about like his whole process the whole way, you know, respiratory. And that wow, was huge, no you know, every, everything with him towards the end was all his respiratory and the machine that he wore is the trilogy machine. And it wasn't oxygen, but it was, it was pumping the air into his diaphragm. Forcing him to be able yeah. to breathe. And yeah. so, I mean, there was just so many interesting things that like, I wanted to just wish I had already known, like I would call a nurse and I'm like, okay, this is going on. I just don't know what questions to ask. I'm like, okay. You know, so it was, yeah, I feel like it's just even preparing me more for what I kind of was already on the road to do. Yeah. Things will make sense to you, girl. Yeah. It'll be good. Yes. How do you go forward? Does ALS define you going forward? You know, it's hard because there's so many times where I'm like, I just want to break. I want to break. I don't from... want to be the wife of this man who yeah, died of ALS. But it's always going to be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to have... The one thing that I quickly learned with ALS that I wish people could just incorporate into their lives. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, what color skin you have, what religion you belong to, if you don't believe in any God or anything. When somebody finds out you have ALS and they've been through it, you have this instant love and connection because you have empathy and it's like, I know how hard this is and I want to be here to help you. And I mean, I have met so many people from like with so many different walks of life that I don't care who they are. They, they've been in my shoes and it's like, you instantly have this love for them. And I wish that could just be for everybody. I mean, I wish everybody could just look at everyone and think, you're human. going through, yeah, yeah, like it's this human journey. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not black, white, whatever. Yeah. Like yes. you said. Yeah. And so I'm going to take this and just only make it make myself better from it. 
I mean, it's You'll be a good nurse. (laughs) Well, and I hope it just even makes me a better person. You know what I mean? Just to not judge, just love somebody for who they are, no matter what choices that they're making. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you have to agree, but it doesn't mean you can't be nice and you can't love them. You can't show your appreciation for them. I mean, there's just, I, I just can't even believe all the amazing people that I've met. And unfortunately you meet these people who have ALS and it's like, they're just going to die. You, you form this relationship just to know that you're going to lose them. Mm -hmm. But you know, they're just as much of an influence in my life too, to just be like, okay, I remember this person and I'm going to do this for this person. And yeah, that's great. So what's the lesson in all of this? Like why? I'm sure maybe you ask God and you've like, what is the lesson in all of this journey? Um, for me, I think there's a lot of um, takeaways from it. Kind of like what I just said, just to try to make myself more loving, compassionate person. Mm-hmm. Teach my kids. Do you think that you're different? Yes. Yeah. So different. Mm-hmm. Very, very different. Um, teach my kids that... Life is not going to be fair. Life is not fair for everyone. But it doesn't mean you got to give up. It doesn't mean that it's bad. You can keep going. There's always there's always hope on the horizon. <laughs> like it is out there and it might feel so far away and it might seem so out of reach, but if you keep your eye on the horizon, it's always there. Like it'll you'll it'll be you'll get there. And you have, you know, friends and family and hopefully just support any support that you need that's going to come into your life and realize life is not that bad. It's not that hard. Well, it is. It is hard. But <laughs> your optimism can make it just a little bit easier. Yeah. So. And whatever life we're given, it's temporary. Yes. Yeah. Mindy, my heart is so full of gratitude to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm here trying not to cry. <laughs> But um, my heart is so full of gratitude to you for being on the show and for sharing your story. Uh, As humans, we struggle when we see others suffering and we feel so helpless and we feel sorry. But your story is one of hope and it feels happy. Mm -hmm. And that is clearly because of the person that you are and the love story that you and Wyatt have. So thank you for being bold and for sharing your story with the world. And I look forward to your book and for you to officially join the healthcare community and whatever else you decide to take on, there's no doubt you're going to be a success and an inspiration to many. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for letting me come talk. Yeah, thank you so much. Guys, as a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. So please come see us and let our family take care of your family. And today, I, I don't think there's a business leadership moment that would do this episode justice. So we're just gonna leave the episode here and I want y'all to have a phenomenal day and be sure to share a smile on your journey today. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair for all your car care needs in Eastern Idaho. Let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com